0: Our next speaker is Upuli Divasekera. Diviske- uh, Upuli is a molecular biologist with a w- wide-ranging experience in many fields of research from parasites to cancer and now nanotechnology. She recently discovered that science communication can be enormous fun and helps curate the at real scientists rotation account, writes the occasional article and talks about science to anyone who listen, and that is you. So please join me in, in welcoming Upuli to the stage. Hi everyone. Um, It's really great, I don't know how to stand here now. (laughs) Um, It's really great to be here at this inaugural uh, laboratory, laboratory session. uh, as Nat said, I'm a molecular biologist, which means that I like to look at the molecular basis of life, uh, where the interactions between proteins and carbohydrates, lipids and DNA result in the amazing life forms like green fluorescent jellyfish, lions and cockroaches. Uh, well, When I was invited to be a part of this, I have to admit that I had a really difficult time trying to choose a scientific hero to talk about. And, you know, I mean, where do I begin? Who do I choose amongst the myriad of scientists who inspire you on your way to becoming uh, one, who, who really inspire you to, to head into a laboratory and spend pretty much all your time there trying to discover something completely new? So there are so many great people that I'd really love to talk to you about to tell you how they inspired me uh, what it, and to tell you what it is to be a scientist, you know, the method, the, the, the strict regulations concerning recording everything that you do in a nice little book and all that sort of thing. You know, I really want to tell you about Alexander Fleming, you know, the man who through sheer carelessness and sloppy lab work discovered penicillin. And that's created a whole new class of drugs that we call antibiotics. And, you know, in his case, it was pure serendipity. You know, starting out with one experiment, being really sloppy, leaving his stuff in the lab, maybe half open. His petri dishes were half open. Coming back after his holiday to find that instead of bacteria, he had mould growing on his petri dishes. But this is, where the special, you know, this is where his special qualities sort of came in because even though he'd been incredibly careless with his work he did notice that in that lawn of bacteria where there was mould growing that around those spots of mould were literally these circles that were completely free of bacteria. And that's when he understood that something was going on. Something was being secreted by the mould which he called by the imaginative term of mould juice. LAUGHTER not very imaginative. Um, and that was, that was what was actually causing the bacteria to die. And he had enough insight to realise that this was a very significant discovery. But he couldn't actually manage to extract the stuff. So it took Harold Florey for that to actually be successfully extracted. And of course, as you know, he is an Australian, or was... And so it was this serendipitous exper- uh, the discovery is where it all began. You know, it really would have made a great story and, you know, if I could have had a set, I would have had like a little set here. I would have had a table and I would have had like um, you know, a really messy old laboratory bench with, with mouldy petri dishes and stuff and it would have been great fun I think because you could have done like um, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Victor Borges but, you know, he's like this sort of mad mock conductor and so, you know, because Alexander Fleming is basically an archetypal mad scientist. He'd be doing this you could do this whole slapstick routine, you know, falling over the place and all that kind of thing. And, you know, and there'd be like Scottish accents, which would be great, except that, you know, I'm not like an old white Scottish man. So um, I think it would have been a lot of fun. And even though he was a mad scientist, um, he really embodied Isaac Asimov's maxim. And that is that the most exciting phrase to hear in science the one that heralds new dis- discoveries is not Eureka. It's that's funny. (Laughter) <laughs> You know, like I said, I was having so much trouble trying to decide who I'd talk to you about. I would have really loved to have talked to you about Marie Curie as well. I think most people are familiar with Marie Curie because, you know, she's pretty much the most famous female scientist ever. You know, and she regularly tops the lists of, you know, when everyone has a bit of a thing about how there's a lack of uh, gender representation in science, and we we bring out our lists of female scientists, she always tops the list. It's like there's no one before her. Apparently there's no one after her as well. Anyway... But you see, she was still a huge inspiration to me and I I read about her first when I was about 12 years old and I just found it amazing that um, this woman who, you know, she was so determined and so interested in her work in a time when most women didn't even go to university. She travelled all the way from Poland at at the time she was called Maria Sklodowska. And uh, she ended up in France and ended up with two degrees and eventually two Nobel Prizes. It was pretty heroic for the time by any standard. And she was a true pioneer. She actually left um, Poland partly because she had a really doomed love affair. Um, <laughs> don't tell other people that. Uh, but you know, so you know, she, she ended up in, in Paris and she got to go to university and successfully pursued degrees in physics and mathematics. And then she ended up in the same lab as a man called Pierre Curie. So you can imagine what happened next in a tiny lab, right? They got talking, <laughs> eyes meeting across benches, hands brushing against each other as they warmed themselves by the Bunsen burners, <laughs> catching nearly dropped beakers just in time. <laughs> I guess romance does happen to scientists. But interestingly, they found in each other their equals and their soulmates. And they were hugely successful as a scientific couple. Both of them had come to the same lab with their own individual... um, Successes. uh, Pierre Curie had actually discovered piezoelectricity, which is basically crystals can actually produce electric current if you manipulate them correctly. And that allowed him to produce incredibly sensitive instruments called electrometers that allowed you to detect these currents. But this is a really handy thing, as it turned out in their later work. Because they were reading about the work of yet another careless scientist, he's sensing a theme here. ...this guy called Henri Becquerel... ...I hope I pronounced that correctly. And uh, he was messing about with samples of uranium... ...and uh, one day in France, in a wintry afternoon... ...when it got a bit too dark for him to do his work... ...he went, bugger this, going home. Shoved everything into a drawer, including uranium sample. And remember, at this time, no one knew that uranium was radioactive... ...or indeed what radioactivity was. So he shoved it into his drawer, came back the next morning and realised that he'd actually put the uranium on a photographic plate. So this is the time before we had film. And he noticed that even though he hadn't exposed the plate to light, that it was as if it had been exposed to a huge burst of light. He Couldn't really figure out what was going on. He wrote it up, published a paper, because that's how you communicate in science, and kind of forgot about it, didn't really care. But Marie and Pierre Curie... ...read that paper and thought, that's funny. So they asked for a few samples and they got a sample of Pitch Blend. And for the next two years, they boiled down Pitch Blend. You've got to remember that Marie Curie was still... She'd she'd had a daughter, one daughter by this stage. She was still working in the lab, bringing up a kid... ...and hunching over a giant vat of Pitch Blend they kept stirring this thing over and over and over and over... ...and eventually they isolated, over the course of two years... ...radium, which is the very first radioactive substance to be found... ...and polonium. And she named polonium after her native land. And that was basically where it began. They basically created, discovered the field of radioactivity... ...which became critical, as it turned out, in future world politics. The foundation of the nuclear age had begun... So, yeah, a bit of a hero, I think, Marie Curie. So, I think I'm running out of time here a bit, so I would have also have liked to have talked to you about Craig Venter, also known as the devil. Um, but uh, I th- next time you can hear about Craig Venter, so thank you. <laughs>